everyone. Welcome back to Childless Not By Choice, where my mission is to recognize and speak to the broken hearts of childless not by choice women and men around the world. Savella Morgan here. I am spreading the great news that we can live a joyful, relevant, and fulfilled life, although we could not, did not have the children we so wanted. Well, as we continue on here with our newest episode, I would like to thank my Patreon contributors. Patreon contributors are those who have taken an interest in my platform, whether they fit the childless, not by choice demographic or not. They have decided to contribute a certain dollar amount on a regular basis to help fund my dream of creating awareness and conversation for the childless, not by choice community globally. Be sure to click the Patreon link for details and to become a patron. And I now have two patrons, <laughs> so thankful. Um, longtime patron Jordan Morgan, and now we have our newer patron Ivy Calhoun. Thank you to Jordan and Ivy for your patronage. It is truly appreciated. And uh, I have a third spot here waiting just for you. So if you'd like to become a patron, if you like what this podcast is all about and the awareness that we're creating, head on over to patreon.com forward slash childless, not by choice. If you have any questions about that, um, including how the money is used, etc., please feel free to let me know. Well, we have a guest today, and um, she has been very patient because we've had tech issues, um, t uh, issues connecting, and we finally made it. So, Chiara Baradelli is an Italian-Scottish so uh, singer-songwriter living in Glasgow, Scotland. She grew up playing classical piano, but spent most of her time playing along to any songs that made it over the airwaves to the highlands of Scotland. Kiara left her job as a doctor, a general practitioner, to follow her passion and studied music and songwriting in London and Bath. A lover of words, chords, and honesty, she writes confessional pop songs about life and how it affects her. In 2010, she recorded her debut album, Don't Be So Lovely, with Mark Freegard at Kyoto Kyoti Studio, Glasgow, and self-released a further EP, My Big Mouth, in 2014. Her new album, Sea Monster, of which we will be talking today, released on March 2nd, 20, uh, 2018, is her most personal project to date, inspired by the loss of her dream of becoming a mother. The songs depict a journey from the crashing realization that something so longed for is permanently out of reach in the title track to the tentative beginnings of finding joy again in the song Somewhere New. Deep Space Hibernation, the lead single from the album, was chosen by Radio Scotland's Janice Forsyth as her single of the week on the afternoon show and has also won an international songwriting award. Kiara will be launching, or well, she's launched her um, album in Scotland. She launched it in March. We'll talk about that as well. And she has a couple of gigs scheduled for now, for autumn. So we'll be talking about that as well. So, Kiara, thank you so much for your patience with us getting this, uh, this episode together, this interview. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Finally, we get to talk. Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, we even had tech issues today, guys. Even today we were having tech issues and she hung out with me and I'm so thankful for that. So let's get right to it since we, um, we started a little late because of these tech issues. Um, I, I really, really like the Another Planet track. Can you tell us the backstory on that track? Sure. Um, I, when I was... 44 I met somebody uh, I met someone who had two children and I'd spent I think I was probably single for about eight years give or take a few months here and there prior to that and um thought that I'd kind of dealt with I suppose the the fact that I looked like I wasn't going to have children somehow I just thought I think I just kind of pushed it down really my feelings about it and when I met um this person when I was 44 it kind of all seemed to I think it was being with him and with his children 
kind of brought it all to the surface and the longing and the desire and um for quite a long time I, I felt I didn't really know what I felt sad. I was upset all the time. I didn't really know why. And, you know, as, as I kind of tried to find out more about what, what I was feeling and I started to realize that I was, I was grieving for the family that I didn't have. And, but things were difficult with us because I spent a lot of time stuck in the past in the sense that I was wishing that we'd met earlier and had children together. And I, I didn't seem to be able to move beyond that, um, repeated thing. Mm -hmm. And, he he found it, as you can imagine, all a bit of a struggle. Um, he wasn't the most empathic of people, but even without that, I think it was probably pretty hard. And um, after we split up, I, I kind of tried to explain to him what, what it was all about. And I, I don't think he, he just never really understood it. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I, I kind of wanted to write a song to him that kind of put it into words. And I... Um, took me quite a long time to get to get it exactly right because what I wanted to say was um you you know you wanted me to be he just wanted me to be fine so that we could have some fun and he'd had a difficult divorce and he didn't really want somebody who was in tears all the time fair enough but what I tried to explain to him was that I couldn't I couldn't just snap my fingers and be okay and if I was if that was something that I felt I could do didn't he think that I would do it so that was that was the the essence of the song and just trying to sort of explain that to him. So I, I, I wrote the song and I got, I got it exactly the way I wanted to say it and felt not that he's ever heard the song as far as I know, although he might've listened obviously, but <laughs> I don't know if he would ever, it's quite funny because I did a gig once where I, I kind of went into a little bit of details to, um, who the song was directed at and it turned out that there was a, a guy in the audience who was a, not necessarily a friend of his but a friend of one of his friends which is quite funny so things can have so, a way of getting back <laughs> yeah so afterwards I, I, I he introduced himself and I said oh so how did you hear about my music and he said well actually I'm a friend of da 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 and I was like oh okay <laughs> uh oh <laughs> that's okay I don't think I said anything too bad so okay. yeah well, so that's, that's okay. Well, you, I mean, it's the truth and Hey, the truth helps as yes. you're healing, you know, so it yes. is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And actually in some ways, um, I mean, I would think that the, the feeling of, I think it's a feeling a lot of people who've gone through this can identify with uh, from what people say that you start to explain how you feel and people just look at you literally like you're from another planet mm -hmm. and, you know, I would say that I've had that experience with some of my friends as well, you know, and I'm just people that just don't. You don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it, you know. So, yeah, yeah. it's not an it's, unusual thing to, to feel. <laughs> yeah, it's 2018, but it's still not a conversation that can easily be had. So. No, no, it's true. But, um, well, moving on, tell us about the album as a whole, Sea Monster. How did you come up with the name Sea Monster? We, um, when, when the feelings of, I think when I was in my late thirties, um, or I suppose in my situation, I was single from the age of about 35. And I think at that stage, I, I never, ever worried that I wasn't going to have children. I just I had this kind of blind optimism. I think that it would just happen to me. It's quite interesting when I, when I see people now or, or meet people that may be in their 30s and they're kind of thinking well it might not happen and that's actually much more realistic whereas I, I think I was just I just thought well, I'll meet someone and I'll have kids and I just don't think for a minute I could let, allow myself to think that it wasn't going to happen um and and so I also think I felt that because I was single I didn't really it was almost like I didn't feel I had the right to to grieve or the right to be sad or the right to to um, express a desire because I also remember thinking, well, if I said to someone, oh, you know, I'm sad that I'm not, maybe I'm not going to have children. I, I thought that people would, would be pitiful that I was single. And I, I really didn't want, I really, really didn't want that because I didn't actually, I didn't actually feel sorry for myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't want anyone to feel sorry for me. I just, I just wanted to express that 
feeling and I suppose when you're that age and you, you see it happening all around you or your friends having kids and but it was definitely something I kind of squashed down and then when I was about 42 I remember a very it's, it's odd I don't can't really explain it but it was a very very physical it was like the actual physical drive that the kind of um I suppose when people talk about the yeah something something inside a very physical feeling it was like it just kind of flew away mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, that's quite a relief, actually, that kind of physical thing that I feel every time I see a child or have a child that's gone. So, so I'm OK. I must be OK then. And I and I really thought I thought that was it. I thought my you know, I was over it and I could just move on. And then when I met the, the chap when I was in my I was 44 and being with him and being with his children and feeling all those maternal feelings and um because for me, having children was very much about having a family. I wanted a family. Um, it was one of the reasons I didn't decide to have a child on my own. It was very much about having a unit. Um, and and so when, when all those sort of um, unexpressed desires, I guess, came to the surface, it felt like a, a literally like a monster from the deep because it kind of possessed me a bit like a monster. And because I didn't really understand what was going on, I... I just couldn't put any of it into words. And so it was a bit like something stirring from the bottom of the sea and, and this idea that as it came up, the movement of it sort of muddies all the waters because because nothing was really the same again after after that, that realization that it just wasn't gonna happen and, and the and the actual the actual facing up to it rather than squashing it down, which I think is a very different thing. Um so that's why I called it that's why I called it Sea Monster. Wow. Okay. That makes absolute sense. <laughs> and so I, I, Such a long explanation. <laughs> that's fine. I mean, I want, because the, you never know who's listening and what they're getting out of that. And they're, they're probably like, oh my gosh, I totally understand that. <laughs> this is one of the reasons why it's actually quite, I found when I do gigs with the, and I'm playing songs on the album. I haven't, I do, depending on where I am and how big the event is, I, I'll maybe say a little bit about, there's one song which I kind of dedicated to Gateway Women, which is the the, the online forum set up by Jodie Day, and, and, I, and I dedicate that song to them. And so I, I find what I do is I don't really say what's behind anything in great detail, and then I get to that song, and depending on where I am, I, I say, well, this is, this album is about, and I just say it in one sentence, and I say this is dedicate this song to the women of that forum, and um, that's all I say about it. And sometimes I, I, I feel, I mean, I have some ideas about creating a performance piece around the. I, it's very much in the early stages. I haven't really decided how to do it, but around the songs of the album, and, and basically, I think I'd like to have a place where I, I can just. Where, where I do express it and I talk about the songs and it because in gigs it feels I don't know it's sort of you want to talk about it but you don't you kind of you also don't want to sort of shove it in people's faces you right, know right make them so, feel guilty so, yeah I don't know like bring them down I mean it's yeah. it's silly really because you think well that's this is what the songs are about you right. know and um but yeah, you want you want to give people a little bit of background, but it never it just doesn't hasn't really felt right to go into huge detail about it really. Apart from my, I've played a couple of um, events which have been just a group of you know women in the same circumstance, and then I I can sort of just talk a bit more about it like I am now. So that feels good. Right. So it just depends on the type of event you're at, what you say, yeah. and how much you say. Yeah, because really the songs are songs that I think apart from that one song, Sanctuary, there's one line in the song um, which is, you know, it's about um, not holding, you know, this desire to hold a child on your hips. That's the only time I refer to it kind of outright. And I, and I think that I think and hope that all the other songs are, could be about any number of things and any form of loss or, you know, and it isn't all about loss. They're about lots of different, different areas of, of dealing with it. And so, and I, and I'd like, I like, I like, you know, I don't want them to be, I want them to be, a, 
songs and any form of art, I think, are about um, people make up their own mind what they want it to be about. And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't, I don't want to prescribe it to people, if you know what I mean. Right, right, right. So you're, you're somewhere in between prescribing and, <laughs> and over-prescribing? <laughs> or, <laughs> is that one way of looking at it? Well, you, yeah. don't, you don't want to over-prescribe because then, then when they listen to the music, they're like, well, I already know what this is about, so I don't yeah, even have a feeling yeah, anymore. Yeah, kind of. And, and it's funny, I remember when I was making the album, um, I said to, I, even when, I remember when I was sort of trying out the songs with various musicians, and I, I wanted them to know at the start, um, especially as actually when I started working on it, it was a couple of, probably three years ago, and I was kind of a little bit more sort of in the depths of it. And But I would say to people, you know, this album is about, you know, me, the, the desire I had to have children that, that didn't happen, and that's what it's about. And I remember, I remember this one guy going, "What, all of it?" <laughs> <laughs> and I think I mean, he hadn't heard the songs. Then I said, "Don't," I said, "Don't worry, you wouldn't know." Like it's, and I felt the need to be absolutely. Um, it's not like I won't be crying in all of them. Exactly. I mean, I think that's what he thought. It's like, oh, my God, you're just going to be wailing oh for 10 songs. Goodness. It's going to be terrible. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yeah, you've got to find that happy medium and try to figure out how to bring them in. Um, yes. You know, educate them without, but, but also allow them to have a, a nice evening of music. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, 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 absolutely, yeah. It'll, it'll happen, but I mean, it's just one of your three albums, right? You've, you've got yeah. other albums. I've written, I've written albums about other things, usually right. about, about broken relationships, but there you go. That's what most people's songs are about. So right. I don't really have, I don't really have to apologize about that one. Right. Everybody's written, every musician that we can even think of has written about yeah. a breakup. So, hey. Of course they have. Of course they have. It's all anyone's ever interested in. So. Right. Yeah. That's funny. So, um. Well, I guess you kind of told us, but how has the music helped you process childlessness? How do you want it to help those of us who are listening to the music process it? Uh, I, um, for me, it was, I started writing, I, I tend to, when I'm, the songs that I perform of my own, they, they tend to be very autobiographical, just, you know, what's going on in my life. Sometimes I write about other things, but it kind of seems to always come back to me. So I suppose it was inevitable that um, I, I would write about this, but I didn't really think, I, I started writing a few songs and then it kind of, I had the idea of, I wanted to create a whole album about it in in the sense that, that maybe albums used to be about the idea of a concept album. And, um, and then I, I wanted it to be, I didn't, you know, at, at that point, I suppose, as time went on and I kind of moved through the journey, I wanted it to, I wanted it to have hope and I wanted it to, to, to kind of depict that there was a, a way through it. I didn't want it to be, um, it couldn't have, I couldn't have done it all sort of when I was in the, the height of the grief or the depths of the grief or because it wouldn't have kind of spanned the whole journey and I probably wasn't really up to doing it then anyway. So, um, I remember sort of thinking, well, what are what are all the aspects of of this journey for me and for maybe the people that I've encountered? And so I wanted to have a maybe a song about there's a song about loneliness and about you know being single. I guess there's a song about um, seeing a way forward. There's a song about support. There's I thought these were all the different you know maybe a song about just being kind of numb with it all. These are all the different aspects for me and. Um, so in a way, primarily it's for me to put, to put the feelings into words and the music is also part of the expression. And I wanted, um, I think I wanted it just to, just to be part of a conversation really. I think that, um, I know that when I was kind of encountering all the feelings to begin with, the fact that it was something that wasn't really discussed in public was a huge barrier to um even admitting to myself what I was going through and and the shame as well I mean I know a lot of people have written and talked about it and and when I think back to how ashamed I felt I mean I remember I bought this book you know I kind of 
I did what I do with a lot of things that I feel difficult about. I just buy lots of books about it and put them on my shelf. Mm. And um, I remember hiding the book. I, I think I can't remember. Yeah, I bought a couple of books about it. And I I literally thought when I got the were delivered, I thought I cannot have these on the shelf if people come around to see them. And I've got books about, I mean, I've had quite a lot of episodes of depression in the past. I've got loads of books about depression and also different. And I probably was ashamed about that to begin with. And I'm not anymore because it was so long ago. And because so many people talk about it now. Right. So in some, in some ways I felt that this could be the same, you know, then at least when someone was going through it, they didn't have to carry the shame as well as, because the experience is bad enough, mm-hmm. isn't it? In oh, it yeah. <laughs> yeah. In itself without, without it being sort of cloaked in silence and, and um, so, and what, I, what I've discovered through, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that, that definitely writing the songs is a form of catharsis, no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. I would say when I was recording the songs, I, I wouldn't say that that really had that effect because then you get kind of just, you start to feel a bit objective about it and you're just stuck in the song really and how best to record it and what instruments to use and that kind of thing. But but with this album, I, I um, when I released the other albums, and I've self-released all of them, but I've never kind of approached, um, I had a sort of PR company and I, I went a little bit more to town with, with getting reviews and things like that. And so that's really interesting because, because they brought up the subject in the kind of public domain. And that was very... Um, I'm not too sure what the word is, but that felt good. It felt good to have it out there in print and, you know, it, and also in a way it allowed me to talk about it easier with other people because it's almost like it had been kind of written about or something. Um, it, it, I think it externalizes it and puts it out there in in public and it just becomes a topic that, you know, takes away the, not the heaviness, but but tries to reduce the taboo. I think that's what right. it's about. So, right. for me, I, I think um, I, w- I wanted to, you know, the, the songs I wanted to write, and then like any artist and musician, I guess you want people to hear your songs, and when they resonate with people, that's wonderful. And um, and I know that for me, the more people that I've met that I've been able to talk about this experience, it it's all hugely helpful and therefore if somebody was to hear you know I I have had a lot of amazing feedback from people saying that they felt that the words put some of their own feelings into words or you know that sort of thing and I guess we have that you know we do that with all forms of when we're going through a tough time and we listen to songs we listen to the words and it helps us or we read poems or whatever it is that you do to to get some comfort. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I wanted to, to, you know, I wanted, there is hope towards the end of the album. And and I wanted to, um, because I know when I was going through it, there was people sort of on the gateway um, forum that were further on in the journey. Although I know it's not a linear thing. It goes backwards and forwards. But (laughs) when I felt really terrible and I, I, you know, I believed there was a while when I just thought, I don't know that, I just don't know that I'm ever going to feel okay about life again. And it was really, really helpful to me to find people that were further down the journey that were saying, actually, it gets better. You know, it's not to say it, not to say you feel amazing every day or that you, whatever, but it definitely, you will, that will pass. You won't feel as bad as that forever. And that to me was very, um, there was a bit of hope, you know. Definitely, because um, a few things that you said, like, for instance, the shame. Let me go back to that for a minute, because Mm -hmm. I actually had to write an episode on shame because I felt, I mean, in my 30s is when I felt absolute shame because everybody by that age group is having children. They're getting married. They're having kids. They're doing the quote unquote normal things of life. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, neither is happening for me. And I'm sure I'm telling myself they're all wondering what's wrong with me. How come I can't meet anybody and how come I can't even have any kids? What's wrong with her? 
And mm. oh my gosh, the level of shame mm. that we go through as childless, not by mm. choice women. Mm. And for those of us who are also husbandless, mm. <laughs> not by choice, <laughs> it's just another, right. it's a whole nother level of shame for sure. So I totally understand the shame aspect that you were talking about. And it does take time to get through it. And I, I don't feel the shame anymore. And that no, leads I to, don't either. Yeah, it leads to yeah. creating awareness, which is what you're doing with your album, with what I'm mm. doing with my platform, my yes, podcast, yes, with, yes. what Jody does with Gateway Women and all the yes. other wonderful women out there that are creating awareness because I believe that we're going to cover this entire planet with awareness so that this is no longer taboo, you know? Yes, It's yes. high time. It's 2018. We're in the 21st century. Come on, people. <laughs> I know. It's like everything hasn't um, caught up. I, 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 it's something I've thought about such a lot. And you, I've kind of tried to to think, well, why, you know, where does that all come from? And I think part, well, there's a huge amount of so many different factors involved, I think. But I remember once standing in a queue in the bank and probably when I, you know, the fact that I noticed this probably meant I wasn't feeling very good at the time. But all around in the bank, the adverts were for, you know, there, there was either there was a grandparent with a grandchild or a parent with a child or, you know, that was all around the bank. And obviously these are, you know, it's it's almost like the advertising and the, and, and, the, and the messages that are out there are not the same as actually, because really that's not reality for a huge right. amount of people. A good percentage. You know, right. yeah, and not, and not just, you know, whether it's like people that are single parents and, I mean, just like so many people are unrepresented. Right. That, that. But if you have all this stuff shoved in your face all the time, then you just think, well, there's something wrong with me. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. You know, but the reality of it is, you know, whether it's because you decide not to have children or you or you end up not being able to have them, even if you wanted them, you you don't fit those social norms. And but so many people don't fit them. But it's like what we what we're forced to think is the right thing through whether it's trying to sell us stuff, you know, is. Of course, you end up feeling like you're not, not you normal. Know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you haven't. And I do think as well that there's a lot of um, situations where uh, it's funny. It's something I'm speaking to about with someone recently about that idea, and I know I felt it quite strongly. And lots of people do in our situation that idea of not becoming an adult. You know, mm-hmm. of what what defines adulthood and this fact that. I used to, you know, I remember when I was really feeling it, I was thinking, well, I don't have a family of my own and I go back to visit my parents and I'm the only one of my siblings who's in that situation. Just all of that stuff, you just feel like a child. Yeah, and they treat, depend, oh, you know, we had that conversation with, when I interviewed Jody Day, how yes. you can actually be treated like a child if you are single yes. and childless. Yes. It's, it was yes. amazing because I never even considered it until... I realized I've been I've dealt with that before and other yes. childless not by choice women are dealing with that, especially those who are single. We're yes. second class. We don't yeah. we're not taken seriously because mm. we haven't like you said, we haven't matured to no. having children, having a husband, having a family. And yet I mean obviously these things are responsibilities and it's a huge responsibility having a child, but you see, if you sort of turn it around, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that because 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 we probably all know people that have children that are incredibly immature. Exactly, exactly. And you know, it, it doesn't make you mature. So not having one doesn't make you immature. Right. But That's so it's, true. It's you know, and I think some of that is, I suppose that's a. You know, you can go back, you can go very deep as to what the roots of that are, can't you? You know, whether we feel that we were meant to be here to have children and all that kind of stuff. But but the truth of the matter is things have things have changed and people are choosing or not having children. And and um, we have to kind of move with it, really. But I think that takes it takes it lags behind, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's like uh, every time I think about this whole um, childless not by choice issue. It's like I think of a ship, like a cruise ship, how huge mm. they are. And you've got one little rudder or a little wheel in some little portion, even like an airplane. You ever look at an airplane, especially the mm. jumbo jets, just look mm, at mm, any mm. size airplane. And then you see the cockpit if you're standing outside. It's just one little area of the plane. 
yes, how long yes, it yes, takes for the, the, the plane to turn. Turn, it's yeah, just, yeah, It's yeah, amazing yeah, to me. Yeah. But that's what I think this platform is like. It's just taking yeah. forever to turn. But hey, it, it eventually does turn. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe it will for us as well. And then the other thing that I was thinking about was um, you were talking about the fact that there are a lot more people now that are choosing not mm-hmm. to have children. Mm-hmm. And we we both sets of us are treated the same way by society, mm-hmm. but we have mm-hmm. different feelings on the way we're being treated. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. One yes. of us is in pain emotionally, yes. mentally. And the other one is like, whatever. <laughs> yes, yes. But also, but also still potentially struggling with, with how they might be treated for that decision. Right. Which is, which is nothing to do with anybody else. Is it? Right. It's really nobody else's business. No, Society makes it their business. It's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and people make judgments, I guess, don't they? People right. make they because because they're not fitting what they. You know right. what they think should be is is the inevitable way that things should be. You know society's norms. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, moving on here because I've taken up so much of your time so far today. Okay. <laughs> um, I wanted to go back in time a little bit. I wanted yes. to ask you. Um, I know you told me, but let's tell the audience how long you were practicing uh, a general practitioner. And um, you mentioned in our initial, our pre-interview that you never wanted to be a doctor, but is there any aspect of it that you miss? So a two-part question. Yeah, I, so I, um, I played the piano from an early age. Um, I played classical piano, I learned to play classical piano, but I, I kind of, I wouldn't say that I wrote songs when I was younger because I didn't really have any kind of words. I didn't think I had any experience I could put into words, mm-hmm. but I used to play, I used to do my practice but most of the time I would just be sort of messing around playing the piano and I loved listening to songs and working at the chords and I just had this very I have I've read this about songwriters that or maybe any artistic endeavor that I, I, I kind of knew when I was about 11 or 12 that I wanted to be a songwriter it was quite a strong it was a notion I had a strong notion and I can remember um don't know if you know the Eurovision Song Contest that happens um uh, and anyway, that was the only sort of songwriting competition I'd heard of. And I, I can remember my ambition was to write a song that would win Eurovision. Mm. Um, and then as I got older, I was, you know, reasonably good at school. And I had a very, um, well, have, but he's not really like that anymore. A very, quite a sort of, uh, I'm trying to, I'm struggling to find the right word. Um, dictatorial father, that's, mm. let, let's put it like that who, you know, had very strong beliefs about thinking that that music wasn't a, a valid thing to do, really. He wasn't, there was no kind of um, value given to creative things like that in my family. And um, he was an engineer mm. initially, and then he became a farmer. We moved up to Scotland and he became a farmer. But so I can remember saying I, I wanted to do that. And he was just very dismissive and said, well, you'll never, you know, you'll never get a job. It was probably right. But anyway, um and said, you know, let just keep it as a hobby and, you know, try and get into medicine or something like that. So that's what I did. And also when I left school, there wasn't really any, um, I look at the courses now and think there's millions of music courses I would have liked to have done. But when I was leaving school, really, there was only classical music, classical piano. And I, I knew really strongly I didn't want to do classical piano. I didn't want to, I didn't want to play other people's music, you know. So I kind of trundled along being a doctor and um, eventually when I was in my late 30s, I left and um, didn't even didn't even know that I was leaving to go and study music. I'd sort of buried um, much. I think it's something I'm very good at <laughs> burying things. So I would buried my desire to be a doctor, uh, to be a, a musician very deep, I think. And um, I kind of had this feeling that if I didn't, if it wasn't going to be my life, I didn't want to do it at all. So actually when I eventually went off to study music in my late thirties, I hadn't played the piano for years. I mean, I'd only just got back into playing it. So anyway, I, I went off and studied music and songwriting and then I went back to being a doctor and worked part time in a job for another seven years. And that was a, a really nice GP job because it was a job where um, I actually had time to deal with people's problems, which was 
it's quite rare these days here anyway in general practice but so that was really good um so the decision to leave that was difficult because actually as far as gp jobs go it it i recognized that it was a really nice one <laughs> had a really good team of staff and and everything um and so it's not really that I could even say that I didn't like, I wouldn't even say that I dislike being a doctor really because I love people and it's a hugely, that's kind of the main bit of the job and especially when you're a general practitioner. It's just that I wanted to be a songwriter more. Um, that's that's kind of how it was for me. And and at that time when I was working part-time, I thought, well, like this should be enough. I've got you know, then I'm earning financially and then I can do the music in my spare time. But I, I reached this point, I actually had a kind of, I had a sort of infection and a really bad fever and I was kind of a bit delirious and it, my life sort of flashed before me. <laughs> and I thought, I mean, really, it really, really did. And I thought, what am I doing? I have to leave. I, I'm just kind of thinking this is okay because everyone tells me you're really lucky. You've got this job and you can support yourself and you still have time to do your music, but it's, it's not enough for me. It's, it's, um, I want to do it more. I don't want to just, so anyway, mm. I left. So I left a year ago mm. and I do, I do miss, I don't, I don't miss the job. I miss the people I worked with mm. and I miss the patients that I had and I miss the contact of that in that manner and um I think I miss the structure a wee bit about the kind of idea of doing a good day's work you know especially a good day's work that's quite you know you just roll into work and you just do it and you leave you don't have to you know uh, yeah yeah I mean you do think but you don't have to think about you don't have to think about yourself you think about you're thinking about other people um what I'm trying to do now is 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 I'm I'm giving myself time to sort of build various things up. But, you know, a lot of what I'm having to do is trying to sell myself, trying to sell my music. You know, like most people, I don't find that very easy. Right. And I've got a few sort of little projects on the go, but it's all quite, it's very, very different to being, to having a very structured job. And also, I suppose not only did I have a structured job, but I had a very structured training, mm -hmm. especially the way that general practice, I mean, it's a bit different now when you study to be a doctor, it's a little bit more um, kind of self, self sort of regulated. And I think you're encouraged to think more. But when I went to university, you were just fed loads of facts, basically. Mm. <laughs> and you, you just had to learn them. You had to weed through them. Yeah, you just had to learn them and, and use them. And um, when you do something creative, it's very, it's different in just every, every possible way. And you also have to find your own, um, find your own work, mm -hmm. which is the same for a lot of different jobs, but it's absolutely not the same for being a doctor, you know, because certainly in Britain there's work, you get a job, you do it. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of that simple. <laughs> mm. Um, I mean, I'm not saying it's an easy job, but you know what I mean in terms of yeah, finding, I mean yeah. You, you went to school, you learned what to do, and yeah, you, and then you just you do, it. do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's got other other things that are difficult about it, but finding work and creating work and is 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 not one of them. And and also you don't, I don't think yourself. One of the things I'm I'm realizing that I'm finding particularly difficult is is trying to separate your idea of self worth of of your own self and your and your your art and public appreciation and trying to sort of make, make sure there's a separation so that you're not so um, emotionally tied to validation from whatever might be happening right. with your work, because that's a bit of a recipe for disaster, you know? Um, so that's quite different because again, you, you, I think as a doctor, you feel, although you might not feel you're doing, great stuff I think you do generally feel valued you know because right. people people value you and it's kind of um so yeah there's a lot of I'm sort of in a quite a transition period I think it takes a t it takes a minute I mean I've been away from the nine to five fully I've had little gigs here and there but mm -hmm. fully away from nine to five since 2014 mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I like structure 
mean, we, we like to think that, you know, it's, it sounds wonderful when we go to the nine to five job and mm, to not have it. Yes. Right. Then you don't have it. It's like, uh, Oh, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah, so you really got to structure your day on your own. Yeah. You end up spending days where nothing gets done. Yeah. Where yeah, if yeah, you went yeah. to work, at least they tell you when to go to lunch, when to go to break. Yeah. Um, how many yeah. people you have to cover today. And of course your job yeah. is way higher than what I did, but it's still, there was still structure and now yeah. there is no structure and no. you are the sink or swim now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and like do you, you said, feel it took you, um, can you like looking back over that period of time, can you recognize the the stages of you adapting to a different mm-hmm. Way of, of, what's this? Twenty eighteen. So it's been what four years now. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that I hope I never have to go back to it. Well, that's and, good. <laughs> I mean, the 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 regular income. I miss the regular income. Sure. But I really do hope I never have to go back to nine to five again. Mm-hmm. But the structure aspect of it, yes, I miss the mm. getting up in the morning and mm. going out. But I also like getting up in the morning and not having to rush out into rush yeah. hour traffic yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. scheduling myself because I'm a big time daytimer person. I have a daytimer. Mm-hmm. My friends laugh at me because their schedule is on their smart device. Well, mm-hmm. I've got a written daytimer and it's, if it's not written, it doesn't get done. I pen yes, things yes. forward. I cross things out when they're done and yes, I'm just, yes. I'm structured that way. Yes, so yes, I don't like yes. to waste time. So no, and you kind of own. miss, you create your time, you create your schedule, you, create your and, yeah. you know, if people call you if they're not on the, I, I just won't take the call. I'm so sorry. Mm. I'm not taking the phone call because mm-hmm. I, then I get distracted and then I'm yes. doing nothing. And then it's, mm. I'm only hurting me when nothing gets done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. I totally understand, you know, where you are a year in, but. On the one hand, it's gotten easier. On the other, I think structure will help. Yes, yes. And I think you're right. I think we we, we crave, you know, we do as, as much as we like to think we don't. I think we all need a level of it, don't we? Right. Right. A level of that structure and um, and a sense of, I suppose, a sense of purpose or a sense that you're, you know, even even with tiny little goals, what you're doing is going towards something or towards a bigger picture yeah 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 and and I for me I I kind of thought to myself you know when I was leaving I suppose I've kind of left before and then went back and then left you know this sort of thing and but this time I thought okay I could have left what I was doing and carried on doing it's very easy to get locum work here where you just stand in for doctors and that way it can be as flexible as you like and I've done a lot of that in the past and it's okay for the short term, but it's not very satisfying. Um, and the thing about doing that as a, as a GP is you still have to keep, you know, you have to have an annual appraisal where you have to do your continuing professional development, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And and so I kind of thought, well, I could keep doing some locums because the idea of like leaving permanently seems really difficult. But actually then my job was already part-time, so I might as well have stayed where I was. You know, what I thought was if I give myself a, a couple of, years um I've got some savings I've got still got some ways of earning some money then I can see it's like giving myself the time to develop right. and um and I realize that um that's again that's quite it's quite hard to do that because I, there's a bit of me that just says but I have to have job I have to have paid work I have right. to have <laughs> What have I achieved? What have I achieved in this year? For example, I went to a party last night. Some people I haven't seen for quite a while. And and I'm already saying, you know, well, I, you know, it's a year since I left. What have I achieved in that time? And the only the only person who's actually judging is judging me is me. Yes. yes. No, nobody else is, absolutely nobody else is judging me. It's just me. And um, it's very, very hard to stop doing it. But I'm really trying <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is hard, and even if they are judging you, they're not telling you because they're probably wishing they could do the same thing. Yeah, because so you've funny. taken a risk on yourself. You've taken a, a chance, and many yeah. people are not willing to do that. No, for and, lots of reasons. Yeah. And, you're yeah. called to if you're feeling tugged away and called away to do something. It's hard. It's, mm-hmm. I said no for quite some time because I wanted the regular income and the job mm-hmm. to go to and some level mm-hmm. of you know, belonging and all of that. But 
mm-hmm. it keeps it keeps tugging at you. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I I, I was saying to someone that because I had a, a, the last job I did for the last seven years, I worked a week. I worked um, kind of one week and then I had two weeks off, which what I mean, it was amazing. It's amazing to be able to survive on that, you know, income wise and all the rest of it. And but what I felt was like in that in the two weeks, I would kind of I felt like a dog on a chain that in the two weeks that I wasn't working there, I would start to kind of move away like and but then like in one of those extendable leads. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the two weeks when I was back to work, it would just yank me back <laughs> into kind of doctorness. Right. And all that kind of, I don't know, the, the, my sort of creative, all the other thing that I actually always wanted to do would be like, right, back in the box. And mm. and it just wasn't, it, you know, and so that's that. I just, I just had to do it really. But yeah, kind of, I suppose, living with it and living through it has got its own its own challenges really yeah. but there's a lot of I find there's a lot of stuff that you can read I mean the internet's amazing for all the stuff that you can find that that helps you read stuff that mm-hmm. keeps you going you know when you feel different things and so a lot it's good. of blogs out there <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely oh definitely yeah. so as we wrap things up here um how what does your family think about your new life's calling well, I think that the 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 shock of it all was probably lived through quite a while ago when I first left my job when I was like thirty seven or something and and I saw this course advertised in London and I said I was gonna go down to the open day and my 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 dad we had a conversation like I was still seventeen basically. Yeah, yeah it was pretty bad. And my mum was kind of worried for me and yeah. a bit very protective, not in the same way as dad. It was more like, oh, I'm worried about you going to London. And and so I think dad's eventually just given up. So he doesn't really say anything. Mm-hmm. And um, my mum is like my sort of biggest fan, really. And um, everyone else, it was. it's less of a, because I've been sort of, I suppose I've been working towards it gradually. So it's not really... I, you know, me leaving, me leaving last year was much less of a big deal than me leaving the first time mm. when I was 30, whatever, and went off to study that course. That was, you know, leaving, going down to London, doing the course, being like the oldest student on the course. And that was, all of that was really hard. Whereas this, I mean, in a way, kind of living through this is, is, harder because you're having to sort of you, I said now I'm, I'm doing it but but the actual leaving the work wasn't wasn't a big deal this time whereas the first time felt um I really did think what the heck am I doing you know <laughs> well so everybody's trying to just probably just watching and waiting and hoping the best for you I'm sure yeah exactly yeah. exactly so that's good um when is your next gig you had I think you mentioned earlier that you have something this month in October you can tell us all about it yeah I I've, I'm going to I used to live on an island in the north kind of northwest of Scotland called the Isle of Lewis mm. which is fairly remote and probably even a huge amount of Scots people have never been there um, I did. I spent a year there as part of my sort of general practice training, and um, so I'm going there to do a gig in a little school. There's a kind of cafe which is used to be an old school, and the woman puts kind of music on every now and then. So that's going to be really small. I, I quite like doing really small gigs. It's only going to be sort of I think 25, 30 people, something like that. Um, so I'm doing that at the end of the month and that'll be on my own um, just because it's a bit further away. And then in October, I've got a gig again. They're quite These gigs that I'm doing at the moment are quite sort of remote. So um, there's a place, the, it's the kind of most westerly point of Scotland. Called, it's called Ardnamurk. And again, it's some, somewhere that most Scottish people mm-hmm. haven't even been. And there's a, um, my sister lives up there and there's a, a really nice art gallery and um, I'm going to do a gig in that. And the, the musicians that I play with at the moment, a um, friend on cello and a friend on guitar and, and singing, they kind of do harmonies and stuff. They're going to play with me and also a, a, a woman who works in the gallery who I've met who does percussion. Mm. So um, that'll be nice. Okay, that sounds very nice.
Is there anything else that you want to say before we wrap up this episode? I don't think so. As you probably realized, I don't have a problem speaking, so I should probably stop <laughs> Otherwise, I just keep going. Those are the best interviews, trust me. Yeah, Instead it's just, of... you just press a, you press a button with me and I'm off, you know? <laughs> I mean, imagine the the people that you have to sit there and drag information out of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would not be cool. <laughs> no, no, no. That would be hard work. Yeah, that's right. not. That doesn't happen with me. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you um, coming on and telling us about your album, your albums, and um, just now we have um, everybody out there listening. We have an album that we can pretty much claim as ours in our community as a childless, not by choice community. Do you know, I'll just, sorry, this is the sure, last thing I'll say, sure. I promise, but I got a message, um, or I can't remember who it was that told me this, but somebody, somebody who bought it said that it, it, and I thought this was amazing, I'd never thought about this as a possibility, they, buying the album, it meant that they could discuss it with someone, mm. the subject, through talking about the album, and it made it easier for them to bring it up with them because, because it was a kind of external objective thing of this album, and I just thought, wow, that's, that's amazing. That's awesome. Of yeah. course. Because, I mean, I don't know if the, the listeners out there who have children who don't fit our demographic realize this, but a lot of childless, not by choice people find it very difficult to discuss the childlessness. Yeah. yeah. And they, they, if they can find a way to open up the conversation, they will. And hey, this mm. album is doing that for some people. So that's mm. pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, I was really sort of, I was quite amazed to hear that. And Really pleased, yeah. yeah thought, oh, that's brilliant. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, Kara, thank you thank so you. much for Thanks your for time your today. Interest. <laughs> if you ever need to reach out to me, feel free to email me at Sevilla at SevillaMorgan.com or just um, visit me at Twitter, Instagram. Instagram is at Joy and Relevance. Twitter is at Sevilla1. And of course, I'm on Pinterest. I'm on LinkedIn. So just, you know, Look me up, give me a shout, and let me know if you have any questions. Give me 24 to 48 hours to respond. And once again, I really appreciate your taking the time to tune in. And remember, check out the civilamorgan.com website and let me know if you'd like me to come speak to your group on whether it's podcasting, why you should podcast or why not, and also uh, joy versus relevance, okay? Thanks a lot for listening, and until next time, have a great one. Bye.